Control is an interesting concept and offers some potentially tough questions for each of us. Do I really understand control? To what extent does your or my relationship with control stifle business growth? How do we effectively maintain quality of output if we relinquish control? And what are the extreme versions or expressions of control I need to avoid? One's relationship with control is such an important consideration that Alon Reyes and his team at Corp measure it along with 26 other characteristics as part of their entrepreneur selection criteria. I'm Gareth Armstrong, and you're listening to a Razor's Edge podcast. What is the Edge's name refers to? After nearly two decades and over 13,000 businesses supported in their growth journeys, Alon has a depth of experience and understanding that is hard to match. After my own decade of exposure to business leaders, industry experts, and many so-called experts, I can attest to this. In the first podcast of this series, Alon reveals that his understanding of business growth can be found in processes that he applies and has applied and refined over and over again with similar results across the businesses he and Corp have worked with. This means that perseverance, the topic of that discussion, is less a waiting game as it is a conscious application of tried and true, confidence-enhancing, transferable activities and processes. The second podcast is an incredibly revealing set of questions we are asked. Here Alon helps us understand the true nature and focus of our individual businesses using a beautifully simple framework. He also challenges us on the value we offer. This discussion, dubbed Flexibility, allows us the opportunity to both course correct and press down on the accelerator. The podcast you are listening to now builds upon the insights and position developed while enjoying these previous two episodes. Today we're talking our relationship with control. It's a two-part conversation, starting with this. What's important is your frame of your world, and that's very often informed by how you grow up, the context in which you grow up. Where you grow up in an environment where you see people doing things and you watch their results. You hear people saying, I'm going after this target or this goal, and you witness that and you see it, it's role modeled for you. Then that frame is plausible that you could also have that. And so you, you tend to follow that belief system. If you are in an environment where your parents uh, are blaming the world for their situation, your father got laid off at work and uh, is blaming whatever, and then you also are role modeled in that certain way. Your role modeling is a very important Im- impetus to w- where you are in terms of that spectrum of internal and external locus of control. And then as you move into the real world yourself, outside of your family of origin, then your experiences uh, become the matrix of your belief system around that. So let me just give you another interesting example, and I'm loath to use religion as a a platform here, but there is a saying that I see with, with entrepreneurs that say, well, God will provide. And then there's another set of people who are religious that says God will help those who help themselves. So even in a religious context, you've got two ends of the spectrum. One, I'm in God's hands, which is fatalistic, and it's an external locus of control. And God helps those who help themselves has got an element of internal locus of control. I still have to do something, and it's part of the result. At Racecorp, they've found that an important determinant of success is the extent to which an individual feels they are able to have a positive effect on the outcome of a given situation. 
This is so important to them that they test for and measure it. Each entrepreneur's locus of control is plotted on a continuum of 0 to 20, where 0 represents a full external locus of control and 20 represents full internal locus of control. Here's the but. Before you begin to think that scoring 20 out of 20 on Racecorp's test for internal locus of control is what we should be striving for, listen to this. I've spoken about the fact that when we test people for it, we use a continuum of 0 to 20. And our initial belief system was that 20 was better than 19 was better than 18. And what we learned was that the guys that were getting 20 and 19 and even 18 were actually failing in our process, which didn't make sense because these people, you know, in the way that we were thinking at the time, were in control and, you know, were powerful and took on the day and um, carpe diem, etc., on further investigation, what we found was that the, the people with the highest locus of control, the 20 out of 20, 19 out of 20, were actually quite brittle, that they had no flexibility in them. And as a result, when life did happen, they, they cracked. So that comes back to the way that you have to, the, their filters were, were, were quite, even their filter about I'm in control was not changed because they were in control in a certain way. And then life happened. And they had an inability to actually deal with anything that was outside of their belief system that they were in control of everything. So that's a very important factor that the highest form of internal locus of control is also an extreme that you don't want to aspire to. Alon shares that the entrepreneurs they're actively searching for are those in a sweet spot. This sweet spot can be found between 12 and 16. So what then is one's internal locus of control really? What does this name or phrase mean in practical terms? What are its points of origin and fundamental elements? And importantly, what can we do to maneuver ourselves towards the sweet spot? So belief systems are exactly that. They're systems. They are part of a bigger whole. And you will know that things that they believed when they were five, perhaps in the tooth fairy or... um going to break it to some people now so father christmas uh, you might have believed that at some point and then later on you didn't believe it so you can see that even within the context of our lives as we evolve and as we grow and as we mature our belief systems have the ability to change as well but let's just take father christmas and the tooth fairy as an, a great example if you look at the, the system that's around there, there's a lot of complicit people in, in that belief system. The people you trust the most are there. They tell you about this thing, and then there's evidence. You require evidence, which is an important thing, and then you take your tooth and you put it under the pillow, and in the morning it miraculously is now cash. Wow, and then everyone comes and says, what happened last night? And there's a whole story around it. And if you didn't believe, I mean, you'd be stupid because you've got proof. The people you trust are telling you, and it's all there. And then you get a little older, and then that environment actually changes. So those people now stop telling you that, and then other people inform you that this isn't true, and you now have that moment where you realize the tooth fairy isn't actually real, and then you get over it and... Now, no one can make you believe in the tooth fairy. No matter if you go to bed one night and put your, your now 
maybe in your 60s you lose a tooth and you put it under your pillow and by some chance there's a, a, a hundred rand note there in the morning, you still won't believe, even with the evidence you won't believe that it's true. So this happens in a far more subtle way all the time in all our belief systems that are out there and we keep evolving. So the, the problem often is that you might have evidence of something and yet there's the, the people that are close to you don't believe that. So you have a personal experience of something and they don't. And vice versa, they have evidence and you don't. And so sometimes there's this conflict between the evidence that you experience in your life and what other people believe. So coming back to our internal and external locus of control, let's assume you've got an external locus of control. You were in victimhood. Now you become awakened to the fact that that's a tooth fairy and that doesn't work for you. It's provided some sort of evidence, but there are a whole bunch of other people who have been in similar situations that are successful and haven't used their previous negative experiences as an excuse. And in fact, the opposite, they've used it to fuel them. So now you're starting to become awakened to that. And now you can start to look for other evidence that is closer to an internal locus of control. Knowing that our day-to-day existence is largely governed by a series of responses resulting out of often subconscious bias and beliefs is an important opportunity to take back control. I love how this conversation is a call to examine not just our actions, but the beliefs, lenses, and programming that filter our individual realities. During the discussion, I also raised the point that if we all have supporting evidence, then we're all right. Alon's response was absolutely yes. This is what makes belief systems so powerful. Fortunately, as we've just heard, these belief systems are not fixed. Here's an example, and it's of Alon's own shift. I was going to take over my family business. And there was one particular sentence that took place where one person was talking to another person it had absolutely nothing to do with me but in that description of what was going on I saw my whole life before me and I didn't like what I saw and that awoke me and allowed me for a different reality and then a whole bunch of incidents happened and because now I was awake when these other incidents or these events happened, I followed them rather to take me on a different trajectory and went in a completely different direction. But if I wasn't open to that newness, open to a different reality, I wouldn't have gone there because I would have actually negated any other interpretation of reality. So I was lucky that that I heard that sentence and it jolted me into, into reality. What was the sentence? What's your father's name? Russell. This is Russell Armstrong's son, Gareth. That was the sentence. Let me just think about that for a moment, what, what that means to me, just for a second. Okay. Have you got what that is? That you're not your own. You're yeah. not your own. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You are not your own. You are not your own. Yeah, I'm not talking to you. 
This person has no identity. They are identified as a function of their father. Okay. That was it. That was the sentence. It was not a car crash. It was not a life-threatening disease. It was a simple sentence that woke me. After hearing that, any evidence that presented the trajectory of my future was now looked at in a scrutinized way. And any evidence that showed a different trajectory actually became part of my view. I could see it now, that there was another alternative, whereas until that moment, I was that closed to a different reality. And that's why consciousness is so powerful, because it just opens up the number of possibilities to you. In listening to this podcast, you're potentially having, like Alon did, your own moment. You're becoming more conscious. It's a wonderful and massively valuable opportunity. Before we move on, here's a final word on this to help you further identify where you are on the locus of control spectrum. To me, the way to identify yourself as external locus of control is around your language, is your blame language. And when we select for entrepreneurs here, and I can show you this on our software, we actually listen to their language and then identify if there's blame language, victimhood, etc. So people in external locus of control find it very difficult when they speak their narrative not to blame. So how's the business doing? The language would be that the market is tough out there. The language would be that um, I've tried knocking on their door and uh, no one wants my product. Or my competitors are uh, trying to squeeze me out. The big guys don't want me in the market. All victimhood. All about them, not about me. And that's where your clue comes, is that you keep talking about other people in your language. It's never about you. Internal locus of control is about you. I allowed my partner to steal from me. I haven't found a way to compete effectively. I haven't found a way to convince the market to buy my product. It's about I. Very different language to they. I think what's very important for any entrepreneur listening to this to understand is this is a journey of trying to find that sweet spot. And you would go to extremes to find that. So I have been through the, the journey of being too much in control, particularly in the beginning, and restricting my own growth. And that was in my previous business. I was constantly with a queue outside my office, sometimes eight to 10 people long. And they would literally wait for the next person to move out like a doctor's rooms. And they'd walk in, give me their problem, and then I would give them an answer. And then one day, I was in my 20s at the time, a 47-year-old man came to me for a 13 rand decision. And he had probably waited out there for about an hour. And that was my big realization, this was too much control. You know, that was a completely inefficient to be in too much control. So I've been through that stage and I hadn't been through the other stage. So then I moved to the other extreme many years later where I had given away complete control and found that that didn't work. In my personal journey, I had a fantasy of sitting in the Rodin uh, stance thinking about what was coming next and then handing over my business to people who knew how to run a business operationally. 
only to find that uh, I had let go of too much control. And the organization that I found myself in a few years down the line was nothing like what I had anticipated it would be. It had completely decayed, in my opinion, from where it should have been. In fact, we had achieved our lowest levels of profitability in the last 10 years as a function of me letting go of control. I then, through good fortune, took back control of my business and then reconfigured the Exco and built a great middle management team. And through them, I then controlled the, the organization. And so it still wasn't pure control or 100% autocratic control. It was still through a team, but a team that was now congruent with uh, my vision, my values, etc. And now I believe I found the right sweet spot. But I don't believe I would have found it unless I had messed up on both sides of that equation. And so I've got this sort of personal experience about what's too much control and too little control in my context. At this point, let's twist the dials a little. Locus of control takes on new meaning as we consider it within the context of our businesses and their growth. This also introduces a new but separate scale or continuum into the mix, tactical or operational to strategic. As we continue, a paradoxical relationship between the two scales is going to emerge. Listen carefully as Alon describes how he deals with this. So if you look in my office, you'll see on the wall a very obscure little piece of paper which has got these handwritten words on them, which is, how are you standing in the way of race corp today? And what that is, is a reminder to myself that I am the constraint and my level of control is the constraint in the organization. The organization will, will grow to my level of capability, my level of vision, and my level of control. If I control it tightly, it'll be constrained further. If I have a laissez-faire attitude and let it all go, then they have no control and the organization too will spiral out of control and therefore not grow to its potential. So you're always managing this, this balance as the business is growing between letting go of control but holding on to enough control. Many entrepreneurs then ask, then how do I maintain quality if uh, I don't maintain control? And it's a good question and it comes back to that tightrope about how much control you have and when to let go of that control. But the how you let go of that control gives you the answer. And the how you let go of that control is through process and documented process and written process. So, so moving from, from tactical operational to strategic, you have to let go of control. And you do that by scaffolding the business with process. And that process needs to be added slowly and deliberately as you let go of more and more control and it becomes basically a proxy for your control because it contains your DNA, your thinking that you hand over to somebody else that this is done in this way. So your DNA and your way is then imbued in that process. Now that doesn't mean that that process cannot evolve and in fact there might be somebody better to come up with a better process, a more efficient process. But at least when you start off, that you're handing over in a way that you want it done, which forces you to then think through 
the step-by-step requirements of that. Now, in RaceCorp, we've got an obsession with process. We've got a concept called a unit, and a unit consists of a bob, and I'll come back to what a bob is. It includes a report. It includes training material and two assessments. So what happens is every single process, and the big joke is even making popcorn on Wednesday, which is Popcorn Wednesdays, has a bob and a whole unit attached to it, which is the bob stands for building our business, and it is a process written on how to make popcorn in RaceCorp, giving you the day, what time of day we actually make it, how to make it, uh, how much to make, and then the new employees who would be responsible for this actually have to study it. We train them and they have to write a test. If they fail that test, they have to write a second test or assessment to see that they know the answers to that. I'm using something as obscure as popcorn, but it is everywhere in the organization to far more fundamental parts of the organization. As you can see from the beginning when you are the the employee number one in your organization where you are the chief bottle washer and the person who does everything, you are in complete control of your environment. There's a very high internal locus of control. But as the organization grows, you have to let go of this control. And in fact, you have to move to a more external locus of control, but with a twist that there are processes that live below that actually become the scaffolding for that loss of control and allow the organization to evolve with your DNA and your thinking, but not you being there for every single decision. And in fact, we have a a, a person who is in charge of all of this. Uh, she is the oracle and all things come to her and she stores this in a document management uh, system. And we then iterate as new evolution in thinking happens, we evolve those processes in an iterative way. The question here is how do you move from tactical operational to strategic? How do you do that? And the answer is through process, about laying down process as scaffolding for those people that you are delegating to. Before we conclude this conversation, here's another test to determine the extent of both your level of control and your ability to move from tactical operational to strategic in your business. How would we identify the concept of letting go of control within a business environment? And this is the language that you look out for. If you want to do something properly, you've got to do it yourself. Too much control. My clients only want to see me. Too much control. I'm worried that my staff steal my intellectual property. Too much control. I'm worried if my idea is out there that everyone will copy me. Too much control. And those, that's the kind of language that I look for when, when interviewing a potential entrepreneur is to see how much of the business they will let go of. Instead of, if you want to do something properly, do it yourself, they would say, uh, I need to put in the processes to allow other people to do it properly. My clients only want to see me. I can't wait to set up a sales team who my clients want to see instead of me. I'm worried that my staff are going to steal my IP. I have contractually made sure as far as I can that my staff will have uh, potential repercussions, legal repercussions through my contracts with them if they try and steal my IP. So every single one of the ways that they think about those things 
is in a way around it so that you're not the most important person in the equation. Because coming back to my clients only want to see me. I'm worried that they're going to steal my IP. So it's all about control, 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 and about me, me, me. So control is in large part a result of conscious engagement in both life and business. If we are conscious of the governing beliefs, biases, lenses, and filters that combine to produce our different realities, we are taking control of our lives. In our businesses, we also need to be conscious of our stage of growth, how this relates to our level of control, aka our locus of control, and also our evolution from tactical operational to strategic. We're consciously searching for that sweet spot. Here's a final word from Alon. So there is obviously a very strong link between this conversation in this podcast and the previous one, flexibility. Because this is also about your level of flexibility, but it's the level of flexibility in terms of how you are thinking and what filters you use to interpret your world and frame your world. So the very strong influence. This is a, a soup, a, a stew of sorts in terms of how to create a recipe for your own life. There is no recipe for everyone's life. It's for your life. It's a lot of things. These are all like running concurrently. This is not this beautiful linear way to think about it. Life's messy and the way we think is messy. And it's all about ensuring that um, there is connectivity between these and there's correlation between these. We find that high internal locus of control creates a high probability of a successful entrepreneur. The high probability of an entrepreneur that can transform from tactical operational to strategic gives you a better chance of being a scaled entrepreneur. And so it's very important that we are able to filter all these different elements in terms of how we select our entrepreneurs to find what we call blue heart, that ideal entrepreneur, which really doesn't exist. If you'd like to hear more of these conversations and this type of content, simply go to your favorite podcasting platform and search for Razor's Edge. My name is Gareth Armstrong, and once again, it's been a pleasure. 